Welcome. This is New Taku, where we talk things anime and manga. We are not experts or gatekeepers. We are just fans trying to share our love with you. Feel free to interact with us on Instagram and Twitter at NewTakuCast or email us questions and requests at NewTaku2019 at gmail.com. Listen to us on Podbean, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and share. My name is Jim. And my name is Frank. Frank, I just did an entire intro for some reason doing Macho Man Randy Savage hands, if you're familiar with them. Macho. A lot of pinky, lot of pinky <laughs> pointing. That's pretty cool. I like that visual, actually. Yeah, I don't have the glasses or the physique or the tan. I do have a s- similar hairstyle. I do not. But you Frank, got, I'd like to wish. You I'm got, sorry, go ahead. No, you got pinkies, though. So, I, I do mean, have you're like halfway there. I am the cream of the crop, Frank. That's for you wrestling fans out there. Happy Independence Day in the U.S., July 4th, correct? What is it, July 6th we're recording? Correct. And happy Canada Day. In Canada, we have Canadian listeners, Frank. Canada Day is July 1st. Of course, this is only a symbolic representation of independence. We have to smash the militant state in the United States and down with systemic racism in the police force around the world. What do you think about that? I agree completely. You know, times, they are a-changing, hopefully for the better. We will see, though. Once again, only time will tell. How about those police officers that choked that kid out, and they made a big joke? It was funny. They went to the memorial, and they made a joke of pretending to choke someone. That's funny. Funny stuff. Really funny. Don't you think that's funny, Frank? That's funny. That's comedy at its finest. See, this is the point where I would want, like, a nice segment of dead air, even though you're not supposed to do it. But I realize that because we're still recording remotely, you may think that I have disconnected. So there you go. That's what I think. Just just imagine me talking is, is dead silence. I mean, it kind of is, but that's neither here nor there. Let's uh, get rid of all these scumbags. Speaking of scumbags, we got lots more scumbags to talk about later. But I'd like to apologize. People at home. I realized this because I listened back. I have to listen back and see how much I screwed up. Because I like to talk fast because I drink a lot of caffeine. I like to talk. I like to talk, 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 fast, fast, fast. So anyway, let me calm down. Last year, I compared, or last year, last week, I compared our spring 2020 show, show, the best show of the season. Go back and listen, of course, to our last episode where we named the best of spring 2020. I compared the best, best of the season to One Punch Man. I mistakenly said season two. If you're a listener of our show, you can go back and listen to our review of season of One Punch Man season two. We weren't really, I would say, fans of it. I, of course, meant season one. I'd like to apologize. You know, even the great ones screw up once in a while, like Macho Man Randy Savage, right? That is true. I mean, Jim was so distraught by it. He he texted me immediately. Uh, I almost did him the favor, but I did not because we are authentic. Where I almost scrubbed that from the audio, but I decided, you know what, keep it in. That's what we're all about here, 100% authentic. We own up to our mistakes. It's it's the kind of quality that you get when you listen to this. Now I'm starting to sound like uh we're on PBS or something. <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm Patrick Stone for WHYY, and uh, I'd like to tell you how you can donate to our Red Circle. Now, um, uh, yes, yes, as you can tell by the quality of a recording, 
and our remote recording that we do not edit. Everything you hear and we say is genuine. Unless, of course, I accidentally say my wife's name. <laughs> she does not want to be associated with any of this geek geekdom. Yes, you, uh, you are right. That's probably the only time I've edited like anything out of this podcast is, is that. Yes. Uh, Frank, how was your week and long weekend? I know we're not working. You're working part-time. I'm not working at all because no one could listen to instructions and bars in Philadelphia are still closed until August. But Frank, how was your week? You know what? My week, it was fine. It was, uh, it was actually even, I would say, pretty good. So like you had mentioned, I started working again. People this time are now starting to kind of understand how to wear a mask which is a thing, as a reminder to the, <laughs> to the listeners, I work, you know, retail, small, small comic book shop. Uh, the first week was a little brutal because I have seen almost every variation of mask wearing possible. And I'm happy to report that last week people kind of got that it's supposed to go not only over your mouth, which I guess there is some confusion still with that, but also over your nose. So there's a little tidbit there for the listeners, even though I, I, I like to think that uh, people who are listening might already get that. Maybe not, but there you go. If, if need be, just Google it. I'm sure you're, you'll be able to uh, figure it out. Uh, outside of that, though, uh, could t- how am I supposed to breathe, Frank? <laughs> I can't breathe. Yeah, I'm getting there's I'm, this, yeah. this thin piece of cotton and/or paper over my nose. I can't breathe. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, that's it. <laughs> that's a thought, for sure. Uh, still playing Ender the Gun- Gungeon, enjoying it. It's a game that continues to uh, kind of age well the more and more you play it. Uh, I'll have a little bit, I think, more of a decent little write-up about it in the next week or two. It's like an arcade-style game, so there's no really end game to it. But I have been mentioning it a couple times here and there, so uh, I'll, I'll probably write up a little little review of it. Successfully, I have undercooked burgers on the stovetop for the 4th of July, where they were looking beautiful, they were smelling delicious, I cut into them, and uh, they were they were raw, so I had to I had to throw them out, so that was a little disappointing. Throw them out? Why'd you throw them because out? Because it was just like, at that point, it was a whole thing, alright? So I was doing it in the in my apartment, there was a little bit of smoke, I started getting paranoid that the, the alarms were going to go off, that people were going to start thinking that I was causing a fire or something, so I took them off, and then they were sitting there, and I let them kind of marinate in their juices, as you do, and uh, yeah, it didn't really work out, and then I got paranoid about uh, eating undercooked beef, so it was it was a fun fourth for me. All right, so Frank, uh, with these hamburgers, what condition were the hamburgers in before you put them on? I, mean, I got to ask. Like, did they come right out of the fridge, the freezer? What's going on here? Because uh, as someone who cooks regularly, I might be able to have some pointers for you for the future. Sure, sure, yeah. So they were uh, straight out of the fridge. They were, you know, beef that was grass-fed, all that good stuff where I pay way more money for the beef because I feel like the cows need to be happy before they are slaughtered. Um, good call. Yeah. <laughs> I got, you know, checks and balances with everything. And uh, right into a patty, I actually used a, 
like a uh, jar lid to kind of form the patties. And out of a pound of ground beef, I got three patties. So they were they were beefy boys, but they weren't massive. Okay, so here's my pointers for you, Frank, and for our listeners at home. When you make burgers, first of all, there's a preconceived notion that is absolutely untrue that burgers have to be cold. You should be turning. Your meat should be near room temperature before you cook it. Also, when you make your patties, you want to press them as tight as you can without them falling apart. So put them between your hands or press them down, okay, before you put them on a hot grill. Mm -hmm. Also, in the center of this area, once you've made your patty, you're going to take your thumb, put a nice little deep impression in there. Not so much that you pierce the burger, but just enough that there's you go about halfway through. Put it flat side down. You need a hot grill. Flat side down. A little grease on the grill, won't? Because you're cooking them inside, correct? Correct. Yeah. So put a little bit of vegetable oil down, just a little bit enough to coat your your pan. Get your pan to about I don't know, like medium high. Get that nice and hot, and then throw them right on there. Wait until a couple of minutes. You'll see the brown start to creep up towards the set, the middle, like it's starting to rise into the burger from the bottom. That's when you flip it. Let it sit for a few, for maybe a minute. Put your cheese on there. That should be good to go. Wait for your cheese to melt. That should be good to go. Flip that thing on there. You'll have a nice medium burger. I think that you, when you start with cold meat, that's where you're, you're doing things wrong. You gotta get that to room temperature. Trust me, the bacteria is not fucking, fucking itself. Ooh, reproducing fast enough to get you sick. I have made food this way, and knock on wood, I have never made myself sick cooking. I've gotten sick ordering out, but I have never gotten sick from cooking meat that was room temperature, you're safe to go. You can even do it with chicken. You know, you can marinate chicken, quick marinade. It takes half the time with chicken if you marinate at room temperature. They say put it in the fridge for 30 minutes. You can do it in 15 if you do it at room temperature. You have plenty of time. So that's my pointer for you, Frank. What do you think? Are you going to listen to me? I am going to listen to you because I do this thing now where when I fail in a cooking thing, I go on. And usually the following week, I try to do it again. And if I fail two times in a row, you know what? That's probably it for me. So I will take these tips and use this the second time, maybe even this week, even though I ultimately had ended up having my fill of burgers. So maybe it will be a little bit, but uh, I appreciate I appreciate the tips. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, I ordered a little hibachi grill, which my wife, which I advertised to my wife last night. I said, that it was going to revolutionize our relationship, which, of course, I think she thought sexually, but uh, that's not happening. So um, <laughs> I've, I've got this little hibachi. I'm going to set it up on the table. She's not going to know I'm going because we don't have a grill because my backyard is small. I live in Philadelphia. I have a small backyard, maybe, I don't know, 15 by 15. That's, that's being generous. And um, it's wood, which makes no sense. There's wood ground. The, 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 the bottom is all wood. I rent, obviously. It's not my decision. So we haven't had a grill, but I'm going to get this little hibachi. I have all these bricks that I used to put plants on because I have a deck that I don't use. It's falling apart. And I'm going to put the bricks on top of the table. I'm going to put the hibachi right there. We're going to do it like we're in Japan. We're doing yakitori, motherfucker. And I'm going to cook some grills. She's going to be so surprised. Oh, my God. She's going to overreact and think I'm going to burn the house down. It's a tiny little hibachi. Going to be safe. Frank, you need pointers on cooking? I'm your man. I will be sure to reach out. Next if someone time. has done some. If someone has done something professionally and gotten paid to do it and did it pretty well, you should ask them. Never take your own advice, right? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's my advice. 
But most importantly to our listeners, I completely binged and watched Darwin's game from uh, what was it? I think winter. Winter was was when it premiered. Uh, I yeah we got a little write up here. So the premise of Darwin's game is 17-year-old Konami Sudu attempts at Frank. Frank, let me oh Frank, let me sure. cut you off. Because I've got a bunch of shows to talk about too that I've okay. So let me let me real quick talk about what like I did that had nothing to do with anime and or stuff, and then we'll do that. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm totally here for it. Yeah, that works. We're going. You told me that you had stuff you wanted to watch through text, and you were going to review some stuff. And I probably should have reached out to you ahead of time because I watched so much oh, shit. Shoot. This okay, week. cool. So let me real quick. I'll just say back to the video game thing. A couple of weeks ago, I had mentioned that I was looking for a new video game. And you had mentioned, uh, what's the game you're playing again? I'm Enter sorry. the Gungeon. Enter the Gungeon. I did not play that. But I went into the games, and if you're a long-time listener, I never finish games. I stop. I went back in, and I'm playing, um, I can't remember the name of it now. I will describe it, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Robot Dinosaurs, Girl with Red Hair. Horizon uh, Zero Dawn, I think is what it's called. Horizon yeah. Zero Dawn. That's another game I never finished either. I hit a point where it was like, point of no return. So I just was like, yeah, let me start looking around for stuff I haven't gotten. So I dove back into that from the beginning. And that game is really good. It still holds up really well. It's a fantastic game. I love the giant Thunderjaw things. and You have to try to kill them. They're like a giant Godzilla robot. And I'm basically, because I'm a coward in video games... I hide on the top of mountains and just slowly but surely take off all of its armor and then creep down there and then try to kill it by my hands, which is always fun in that game. It's most games, it's very it has no auto aim where you turn automatically. So I'm constantly spinning in circles and trying to, you know, and hitting the tumble button. But yes, I started that again. Also, I downloaded my pre-sale version, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago, of Sino Alice which was, it's created by Yoko Taro, who created uh, one of my favorite games of all time, uh, Near Automata. So it just, like, showed up on my phone on Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. It's very cool, very dark. It has, like, a John Ken or Rock, Paper, Scissors battle system. You level up armors, uh, armor and weapons. There's character classes, like your standard RPG-type character classes. I couldn't tell you the difference, except the obvious roleplay standards. Um... There's guilds. I'm in a guild called Ill, just because I just joined it. You face other guilds. It's very much like other games, except it's really, it's got really, it's really dark. And there's obviously some kind of evil going on that they're not revealing. But it does have a storyline. Um, I'm learning how to figure this. I'm just starting to figure out how to play it because I don't play these games that often. But I gotta be honest. It is beautiful, but it is not much fun. It's just like every other game. There's some gotcha aspects of it and stuff like that. But it does burn time. So now, Frank, I'm sorry for cutting you off. I just want to get that out of the way because I have a list of television shows to talk about, and I'd love you to start it off. If you're, you're going to start with your anime first? Yeah, I could do that. Uh, I just I, okay, I so, wanted to yeah. touch start with start with Darwin. Oh, I wanted to touch on the game that you were talking about because I I actually uh, played a little bit myself. Not enough as it seems like as in depth as you did, but I did give it probably a decent hour. Got through kind of the um, the tutorial and such, and you are right. It is it is a uh, dark game. It seems to be 
uh, it's kind of confusing in, in how it's played. It doesn't really do a great job of explaining what is happening when you're going through the dungeons and stuff like that. So I am interested to continue to play just to see if I can figure out how it's played, but I don't know if there's like a whole lot of depth in terms of the gameplay, which has kind of left me a little sour so far. But it, it, it's it's worth it for the visuals alone, I think, at least to check out. You're you're playing you're playing as Alice, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You eventually get all the characters involved, so you get Alice, Snow White, Cinderella, uh, Pinocchio. Uh, uh, Gretel from Hansel and Gretel, like you get all these characters. You get Kaguya, the uh, princess, and they all have different personalities. And once you start playing as them, is when you like because they're all flawed characters to the point of psychopathically flawed, which is really cool. Kaguya is a, a masochist. Oh, Little Red Riding Hood's a sadist. Like it's pretty cool, but like you said, it's the gameplay is very generic and like all right, let me butt mash a little bit. All right, so go ahead, Frank. Start. I'm sorry. Darwin's Game. Let's do it All right. All right. So Darwin's Game. Binged it over the, uh, I guess, weekend, the past couple days. 11 episodes. I got uh, the the premise here. 17-year-old Kaname Sudo accepts an online invitation by a friend to play an app game called Darwin's Game. Unbeknownst to him, that it involves a fight between life and death. Those who play the game are given a sigil, an ability that varies from player to player. Trapped in the game of relentless murder and conquest, Kaname determines to clear the game and seek out and kill the game master. How did I do, Jim? That's I was trying to channel you a little bit there. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent job. Uh, real quick, we had... Did I, I shot this down in our our winner selection, right? I had vetoed it. Correct, yes. Or not vetoed it. I, 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 sorry, I voted to not watch, as opposed, if you're unfamiliar, listeners, we do a selection show, which I think we're doing next week, for our shows, for our official watch list, and you choose, and you eliminate. So this was one of the, I think this was the first show I eliminated, actually, in winner. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure you eliminated it pretty quickly, and then I had an opportunity to veto, but because of the way that we do it, I I decided not to. Um, So yeah, over-the-top, goofy fun. It definitely scratches kind of that summer blockbuster itch, which for this summer might be right up your alley, considering we're not getting any of those. Um, The premise is interesting enough but at the end of the day it is kind of like a uh, sort of battle anime which i know that you are not a fan of jim but for those of you who are uh it it kind of meets all those expectations the villain in it is a kind of a classic i'm evil because i want power type of villain that goes very much in line with a summer blockbuster uh and the show gets glory gory and dark towards the end but it never feels kind of gross which I feel like you toe the line with that sort of stuff. Like, limbs are getting, you know, chopped off, but it's never, like, super, super gross. Uh, People are introduced with new powers fairly frequently, which keeps it fresh, and the storyline arcs don't overstay their welcome. They're usually done in, like, you know, two or three episodes. Uh, I would recommend it if you're a fan of battle anime or action movies. Um, It also works out really well if you kind of turn your brain off to some aspects of it. Like, for instance, uh, 
they kind of hand wave the fact that these people are able to, you know, download this app and then in turn it allows them to kill other people that are playing the game because when they, you know, when you die in the game, you die for real and then you get you get points and the points translate to money and then all this stuff, but for whatever reason um the city whose name I don't have written down that they're in they're just able to enter battle through the app, kill these people, and then everybody's kind of fine with it. And uh, at times they even <laughs> evacuate like the whole city so that they can run events where people kill each other. They don't really give too much of an explanation for why. I think at, at one point there's kind of a one-off line where they were like, oh yeah, well they faked like a uh, earthquake warning. So everybody is, you know, hiding in shelters or something like that. But, I mean, that's that's kind of, like, where you're at with this sort of thing. And, you know, it's fine once you get past that point. Uh, if I was to give it a rating using our coveted Nutaku rating system, I would put it down as it's all good. Like I said, if you're kind of a fan of action movies or battle anime, it's, uh, it's a fun watch, great for binging, sort of sit down, turn your brain off. Don't give too much thought to it, but uh, it was enjoyable. Excellent review. I will not be going to watch it. But if that's your thing, sounds like your thing, go right ahead. Who am I to judge? Oh, so Frank, what do you want? The good, the bad, the ugly? Which one would you let's like first? Let's go with let's go with the good. The good. Okay. So I'll talk about some stuff that I've I started. Uh, I started Dodo Head Dodo, which is I've only watched one episode, but it's definitely a show that I would recommend to people who are missing that off-the-wall gory, which hasn't been around really in our anime the last few seasons, where you're like, what? This show is wild as hell. I definitely recommend Dodo Head Dora. It's on Netflix. And, Frank, I started BNA, Brand New An Animal. Ooh. This show friggin' is awesome, so you need to get caught up on it. I love Studio Trigger. Maybe I'm skewed, but... I think I'm like halfway through the season already. I blew through it last night. It is beautiful, and it is empowering, and it is a great show. Studio Trigger really knows what they're doing. They love sending messages about racism and uh, uh, conformity and feminist messages all through their anime. They did a great job of it with um, the Firefighter one, which name is, escapes me. This is a great show. I definitely recommend it. Frank, you're going to have to get started on that one. Now, some more stuff, not anime-related. I started... I'm almost done Queer Eye. Now, I'm, I'm late to the game on Queer Eye. Frank, have you watched any Queer Eye? I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, we've talked about it before. I have seen episodes of it, but I, I wouldn't say that I've ever watched it, if it, that makes sense. No. But, it <laughs> doesn't make sense. I've seen episodes, but I, I wouldn't say that I've, like... Yeah. I've seen episodes that... <laughs> Existed, but well, I, I mean, like, when you say, so, like, watch, I mean, like, watch, for me, would just mean, like, I've seen, you know, a season or a series, or I know there's, like, a couple different versions of it. I've seen episodes, like, way back when, but uh, I haven't I haven't kept up with it, no. Well, I'm going to say that there's a show I'm about to talk about in a bit that I say I watched one episode. I have definitely watched that show, and I will not be returning to it. Um, but... I'm late to the game, and obviously listeners to this podcast will understand that I 
dived in in the Japan season. When they went to Japan, I was just like, oh, God, oh, Japan. <laughs> so, I, of course, I dove right into it. I got to show you, I, I'm, not a, <laughs> I'm not a big reality show guy, but this show is definitely like the mo- one of the most genuinely feel-good television shows. Like, the, most of the people are totally relatable. There's a couple of, there's this one Polish woman who's from the suburbs that's originally from, like, Port Richmond, Philadelphia, and she has the thickest accent. And as someone that grew up in Northeast Philadelphia, every time she said, like, certain words, I was like, whoa. And I'm not even talking about water, a.k.a. water, to anybody else that speaks English. Um, but, like, just some of the things that she says, and, you know, Tam, the guy, the British uh, guy, he just is, like, having a blast with her, her accent. But... I've only got a couple of a couple of more episodes. The show is really good, and if you're looking for something that like, you know, hits you in the heartstrings and is also always positive and always can bring you up, it's definitely the show to watch. Um, I also I don't know if you started watching this, Frank. I finished Taste the Nation with Padma Lakshmi. It's on Hulu. I did not know. Okay, so Padma Lakshmi, she's a former model. She was the host of some Food Wars or something like that, some show on the Food Network. So she. She's uh, 47, 48 years old. I don't know. She travels around the U.S. and she's investigating what makes American food and the ethnic groups that created it. Because if you, the, as you watch the show, you realize there's no fucking such thing as traditional American food. There's no such thing. Everything is from somewhere else. It's all immigrant inspired. It's very inspiring. Great feminist show. There's an entire episode, and my wife and I were watching it. It's about Thai women who came to the United States. And settled in, uh, of all places, Las Vegas. There's not a man in the episode except for at the very beginning. But, like, the back end of it is just all women and telling their story. It is a great show. It's tear-inducing in times, but very good. And Lakshmi is, uh, Padma Lakshmi is legit so chill. She must be, like, the most chill person in the history of television. She must smoke, like, all the weed. <laughs> well, that's a... But anyway, food, food is... No, that actually sorry, sounds like I, I'm going to go check that out, because that sounds right up my alley. Uh, oh, my God. She is, she is like, the coolest woman ever, really. Like, from her background, she tell, goes into her background, because they have an Indian food episode, and she's from India. And, you know, they tell, and she talks about her background and her mother coming over and everything, and just, she is the coolest fucking woman. Like, she used to go out with uh, Salman Rushdie. She was married to Salman Rushdie. Do you know who Salman Rushdie guy no, is? is he wrote a book that got him. He but he was I believe Iranian, but he had a uh, what's the the order that's the extremist uh, extremist it of Islam. They put out an order to kill you. Oh jeez, I, I don't know. Yeah, you know uh, what it's called? I'm not sure. sure. I don't want to say the wrong. Word I kind of have an idea of what you're talking about. Yeah. Right, so like they put this edict out that he had to die because he wrote a story about Muhammad. I forget what the name of the book is. But she married this. She used to be married to this guy, like you know, in the early two thousands. Like I looked up her background, like what made her. She was a very famous model and everything. She's a she's cool as shit, man. It's definitely worth a watch. All right, I've got some more, and I haven't even gotten to the star of the show. So uh, I sat down and I blew through Juon Origins. Are you familiar with the Juon series? I'm not. No. What is it about? It's a horror, it's a horror film series. Um, it's about like basically, without giving it any way, there's a house and bad things happen in it. So I, it's on Netflix. It showed up. They're 25 minutes apiece. There's six episodes. So I watch it in one sitting. I blew through it. Um, it's kind of a prequel, as per the name Origins. But you don't need to have seen the movies. I've only seen two of the movies. 
and they ain't that great. But the show itself was really good. I wasn't crazy about the last episode, but in true Netflix fashion, it has a pretty and like beautiful ending credit scene and song, and you'll have to turn off those pesky auto skip op- options if you want to enjoy it. Last on my Netflix list. All right, I'm sure you've seen the ads. I'm sure you've seen fucking reviews telling you to watch this show. I'm about to get a little negative here. I hate to shit on people's parade, but I I watched episode one of Warrior Nun. (laughs) All right. All right. Tell me you didn't see an ad for it telling you to watch it. Give me a break with this show. So the narration, there's narration. There's narration through the whole fucking episode. Like, narration in anything that isn't a documentary immediately takes 20 points off. Like, why couldn't they tell a story instead of narrating it? They had a five-minute nightclub scene, but they didn't have time to tell a story without a narrator. The show takes itself way too friggin' seriously. Like, you hear Warrior Nun, I'm expecting a little camp, maybe some jokes, maybe some, like, homages to stuff. Like, some camp. I expect a camp. Yo, this show is so serious. Everybody is so serious. The nah, she's a warrior, and there's demons. I should definitely take this stuff seriously, right? Oh, my God. And they paid a lot for the soundtrack. It had Billie Eilish in it, Leaky Lee's in it. I'm like, how much did they pay these people to be in this? Oh, man, this show stunk. I only watched one episode. But if you couldn't convince me in one episode, as we've talked about in our podcast, anime, if you blow it in the first episode, what makes me think that you're going to get any better later on? This is an example of it. This show stunk. Wow. Yeah. I mean, no, I haven't, but... uh, (laughs) You're telling me that a show called Warrior Nun wasn't able to captivate you in the first episode is is just completely mind-blowing. I thought, <laughs> when I saw this, because like you said, they're advertising it everywhere, and of course in Netflix fashion, it's like the first thing that pops up when you open up Netflix. They're like, hey, Warrior Nun, you gotta watch this. This is the show for the summer. I would have I first off it doesn't speak to me at all and second off like you had said I would I would think that it would be more in line with camp like I thought it was going to be more kind of leaning towards sort of a Hercules or like a Xena where it's like it has its moments but at the end of the day it kind of knows what it is which is a show called Warrior Nun. <laughs> yeah, yes. Like like wait wait but I'm thinking like when I saw it I'm thinking like, and from the still image, like the still image you go on the screen in the advertisement is a guy with like blonde hair glowing with blue armor on. It's so silly looking. And I was thinking like, okay, this will be like, I don't know, the Hellboy films, like the the Ron Perlman ones. Okay, it's got serious issues, but there's some jokes thrown in there and it's kind of funny and, you know, it's high action. Oh man, they're using machine guns. Like what's fun about a machine gun? In this day and age, what's so fun about him shooting, seeing somebody shoot somebody with a machine gun? There's nothing fun about it. This just stinks. I don't recommend it. So, we get to the coup de grace. What have you been waiting for, Frank? I have been. I- I'm excited. Let's go. I can hear you, ru- I can hear you rubbing your hands. I hope you're your hands and not your legs. <laughs> Did you really hear it? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I was rubbing yes. my hands. That's correct. Rubbing your hands together like a cricket ready to meet. All right, here we go. Let me clear my throat. A couple of weeks ago, I finished Buffy the Vampire Season 5. Are you ready? I'm ready. Season 5 starts out 
with a promising episode. It's Buffy versus a very silly Count Dracula. Very fun episode. And it is almost all downhill from there. So Buffy now has a teen sister, Dawn. To no surprise to me, she's a major story point in this season. The big bad this season was Glorificus. She's like a cast-out god of some dimension, and she is crazy, spelled with a K and multiple A's, Y's, and E's. Uh, she's looking for something called the Key. MacGuffin. The Key will open a dimensional rift, correct? And cause all of the realms to combine into chaos. Surprise, surprise, Frank. Buffy's new sister is the key. And the key is hidden as a human. And everyone has their minds altered by some monks to protect the key from Glorificus, who everyone calls Glory. But you better believe if my name was Glorificus, y'all would be calling me motherfucking Glorificus. That's the big story. So here's some other stories that are going on. Riley, who I talked about last time I did a review on Buffy, uh, it's Buffy's lame-o boyfriend from season four. He realizes Buffy doesn't love him, so he goes back to the military on a helicopter. So now Spike is trying to bang Buffy in like the least believable and sometimes unnerving part of the series. A nerd pervert creates a killer robot and he abandons this robot. So Spike, who can't get Buffy to like him, has the nerd create a Buffy robot so he can bang it, and the robot is predictably called Buffybot. All right, that's, that's plot point number one that sucks. Uh, plot point number 2203, that sucks. All right, so and a big, big surprise. This is a big surprise. If you haven't watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, skip ahead about five seconds. Buffy's mom, Joyce, dies of an aneurysm. But I'll talk about more of that in a minute. About that in a minute. There's also a comically bad Renfair army of guys named the Knights of Byzantium. And even my wife, who loves Buffy the Vampire Slayer, was laughing at how stupid it was. And these Knights of Byzant Byzantium are hunting glory. They're just riding through Sunnydale on horses with armor. The armor looks like it's made out of plastic. Like, I uh, I don't know. Okay, so, back to the main story. Buffy goes on a couple of dates with a med student named Ben, and shocking, but I guess it, Ben is actually the alter ego of Glorificus. Ben is actually the human host used to contain Glorificus. And there are some scenes where Ben and Glory argue with each other in the same body, which would be way cooler if they had anyone but these two actors do the heavy work. They are bad. So the big climax. Glory sticks her hand into people's skulls to help her when she starts going insane. Like, you know, taking magic crazy, not crazy pills. These people turn into her mad slaves. So these slaves build a giant tower. Glory gets Dawn, the key, mind you, takes her to the top of the tower to sacrifice her and open the portal. Buffy saves the day. By diving into the portal instead of Dawn, she sacrifices herself in the process. Her body lands on a car. Giles kills off uh, Ben. And to no one's surprise, we'll go into season six at the end of this. Buffy, of course, will come back because it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer and it's going to go on for seven seasons. The end of season five. 
Any thoughts before I dive into my review? Do you remember any of this? So I do remember some some things. Buffy Bot for sure is is the big one. I remember specifically an episode where they're like stuck in a gas station and they're putting up like a uh, like a force field or something. Uh, I th- oh, there's <laughs> force, force fields. Um, yeah, I do remember a whole thing with Willow as well that uh, that you may get into. Um, and then yeah, Glory is a uh, is, is an interesting big bad. I do remember her being like over the top for sure the fact that i mean i guess they, they they get to a point where they sort of have to continue to trump themselves because you know every big bad is bigger than the next and now you're at a point where it is it's a it's a it's a god now she's fighting a god and it's like okay she died fighting the god it makes sense uh what are they going to do next i don't i don't know it's for you to find out I mean, they had a perfect one if they just stuck with this silly-looking Dracula from the beginning. They could have done a whole season with Dracula. But they killed him off in one episode. And legit, killed. he kept trying to come back, which was funny. First episode was, like, promising because it was camp. I'm telling you, this show really excels at the funny. It's bad at the camp. So, my review for season five. This season was fucking terrible. It was dumb in a way that I barely laughed at its badness. But also an execution and technical amateurity, Frank. There's boom mics. There's cameras in shots. I'm getting there. Okay. Buffy Bot, the Knights of Byzantium, Riley paying Vance to suck his blood to feel something that Buffy wasn't giving him. Dawn showing up with no explanation, but there was never a doubt that she would be revealed as the key. Also, more bad. I gotta ask, who cast Glorificus? Okay, so picture this for me. They bring this woman in. Very attractive. Blonde, curly hair. Probably a very good actress. Young. I'm going to play both roles here. Here's me. I'm Joss Whedon. What do you think Joss Whedon sounds like? You think he's more high-pitched, or does he think he has a deep voice like this? What kind of nerd do you think he is? Uh, I think he's he's a little bit, yeah, like higher-pitched. He seems like a higher-pitched guy. Okay. So, the high-pitched voice will be Joss Whedon. Where are you from? Southern California. Okay, can you read this line in your most Valley Girl accent? Okay, I'll go over the top. I don't know what we're, like, gonna do. That was good. That was good. Uh, Could you be a little more realistic? Think of the bratty girls you went to high school with. I don't know what we're gonna go. And like she was completely incomprehensible, this woman. I get what she was going for. Be like a bratty Southern cowgirl. But she was absolutely incomp- incomprehensible. I wouldn't some of the times I didn't know what the hell she said because she dragged off at the end and did that California drag off. If you're familiar with the California accent, I, I couldn't understand it. Like I if she was over the top, you'd be like, Okay, this is pretty funny. But it was like, What what? What what did she say? What? Alright. Perfect, you're hired. Good job. Multiple times this season, as I said, I saw boom mics, cameras, people accidentally walking or being in frame. There's a scene where there's they're in the desert of the mind, of course, and a person with a striped shirt just walks into the shot. They got cargo shorts on. I don't know what the hell's going on. You would think they'd have more. Like, he would have figured it all out by this point. There are positives, though. The Joyce Dies episode was great. 45 minutes of it. 
Then they add, like, this weird vampire battle scene in the morgue, which seems completely unnecessary for an episode that had, like, real-life gravity. Like, I was shocked that she died, and it was realistic, their reactions to it, and how everybody came together, and I really loved that episode. And also, Anya is great. A mortal demon lady is now mortal and has to deal with her mortality. Good, good shit. So, Frank, any thoughts before I go into my rankings? Yeah, I mean, definitely the body is, like, is like one of the better episodes one of the best i would say it like you had said um it speaks to the show on the whole because it is so ridiculous and you know people die and it's kind of like ha 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 but then you know you have this this death that is very realistic and grounded and um like i think you covered it perfectly people respond the way it seems very natural and for a show that deals with the supernatural it comes almost out of nowhere it's almost shocking and especially with this season like you're kind of saying it's so ridiculous and over the top that uh that um yeah it's a good one yeah that was a good one uh i think it's my favorite episode of the season of the series above the hush episode i think this was my favorite one all right i'm ready rankings here we go top rank anya cordelia's heir since she was introduced, she's been great. Next, Joyce, RIP mom. Next up, Willow. She's a full-blown witch now, putting up force fields all over the place. Lots of force fields. Next up, Giles. Good performance this season, and he killed Ben, who needed to die anyway. He made sure that Ben never comes back. Ben Glorificus ever comes back. Next up, Spike. Spike is always great. His sexual obsession with Buffy was, a little, was funny, but it was a little awkward. Harmony. Now, Harmony, if you remember, is the girl... She was the mean girl from high school. Uh, she turned into a vampire, but she gets turned into a vampire by Spike. Spike is like her unwanting boyfriend, and she just wants to be loved by whomever and was always funny, and she looks great in Buffy's stolen sweater. That thing was tight. Also, next up, right in the middle of the pack, Buffy. Very middle of the road for old Buff this season. Uh, same bad decisions, but her friends actually call her out on them now, and she is starting to recognize their faults, which is good to see a story like she's just not keep she doesn't keep doing the same thing over and over again. Now here we go, the bottom of the barrel, Tara. I had really high hopes for Tara as a character, but this season she gets her mind wiped, and she's little more than Willow's girlfriend, providing nothing at all to the group in the entire season. I think they have one episode that focused on her, and otherwise she was just there to be, like, the butt end of jokes and stuff. She didn't do anything. I think she shot, shot like, one ray beam out of her hands or something. Xander, of course. All the funny moments. All the sexism. Riley. Riley is gross. So he and Buffy were trying to bang in Xander's new apartment before he even got approved for the lease. Good riddance. Ew, you're gross. Try not to catch any friendly fire overseas in the military there, Riley. <laughs> now the last two. I got Dawn. Now it's easy to pile on Dawn. Apparently she's hated by super fans. She's a new character, and she's thrown into an already established cast. And it's unlike unlike Tara, who you get like a little introduction, and she kind of gets eased in. This girl is just in the middle of it right away. And then as a plot device, she makes all the bad decisions to push the story story along. I'm rating her this low because her story and the reveal that she was the MacGuffin of this season was just completely predictable. Last but not least, no surprise if you've listening, Glorificus and Ben, so lame, that accent. I did love her hair, though. I wanted to run my hands through it. So, 
Here's my new Taco ranking for Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 5. Are you ready? I'm ready. I am canceling my subscription. I am going to have to throw in the towel on this show. Uh, I started Season 6. Buffy, of course, is not dead, but she's feral. Giles leaves the show. He's gone now. Willow is talking with telepathy. I, I, I can't do it. I may finish this at a later date, but I am putting this on indefinite hiatus. I don't know how anybody watched this week to week. Like, it, it, it is a tough watch. Frank Whoa, you're going to give up? You only have two more seasons left, and then you can get that nerd cred and say that you watched the whole series. Right? I think there's two more. Let's put this... Yeah, let's put this in perspective. That's, uh, what, almost 50 episodes? Okay. <laughs> I, think I, can, I think I can pull off. Yeah, I mean, my my relationship with the show is I also watched it when I was like... Uh, when it was first airing, so I want to say I was like 12, and then you know I rewatched it as I was a little bit older, and by that I mean I was like 20, so like eight years later. Um, I think that uh, it's interesting some of your points because I you know didn't view it a lot of that stuff like you were talking about with people coming in the shot and stuff like that. I don't remember, but I also wasn't viewing it in such a critical eye like you are for the for the show or just in general so um it is interesting it's interesting to hear your thoughts on it i think it was uh it was enjoyable while it lasted rest in peace buffy reviews for the time being i um i i the epi- the episode where joyce passes away they uh a camera pops in the view and i just like you know lost my shit i'm like yo like what the fuck like, it'd be different if, like, at some point it was revealed that there are actually, like, in a dream sequence where the whole show has been a TV show. <laughs> like, Dallas, you know, where it was all a dream. Yeah. But, you know, it's just amateurish looking, man. It just looked lame. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's no, like, the show's campy to be campy. It's intentionally campy. It's not like I'm watching, like, old reruns of a television show from the 60s where, like, a bomb, like a boom mic comes in or something like that. Now, this is a show that, at this point, is probably making a lot of money for whoever had it CW or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah, and shame. like, to your point, you're right. This is like season four and five was when this show was really kind of hitting its stride in terms of popularity where they had a spinoff in angel. They were talking about doing another spinoff with Giles, uh, that never came about, but like, it wasn't like it was this unknown show. Like it definitely had to have been generating quite a bit of money for, like you said, uh, I don't I don't know who it was at the time, UPN or Fox or WB, whoever it was, it had to have been making money. So it is kind of crazy that that stuff exists for for the show right in the middle of its of its prime. It is that's crazy. I Man, I can get it. I can get like how studio executives like you know the special effects are uh, uh, is going up a little bit, so you're gonna have to cut back on other things, but. Yeah, they couldn't cut out the guy, like, just squeeze the screen in a little bit, cut that guy walking. He walks into the quarter of the screen and, like, looks like, whoops. <laughs> it's so bad. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, enough shitting on Buffy. She's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it's, it's tough at this point to watch. But uh, you want to talk about some news? Yeah, let's, let's get it. Let's get it, news. All right. So, Anime Expo happened, Frank. Yes. Right? Did you watch any of it, Frank? I'm leading you in here. Uh, I did. I watched some of the performances drunkenly um, because you had texted me about it, 
and it was a good time. What did you think about it? Watching music, it was fun. I, 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 you know, I'm not used to watching things on Twitch, so uh, I was not prepared for the stream of comments from people, <laughs> um, and people shocked that this was not recorded, that it was bullshit, that it wasn't live. Like, what world do we yeah, live in right now? I have, you know what I mean? But we did watch, we did watch the music. Yeah, and I have yeah. no idea, like, why people would think that it would be, and then also to, like, live, but to the credit of the anime expo and at least what me and you had saw or at least i saw with the musical talent that they had i think that they did actually a a pretty good job like um all considered i guess my expectation for this thing in general was pretty low so i didn't really like go into it thinking it was gonna kind of have the i don't know impact that it did Yeah, definitely it had, like, a vibe of, like, a telethon. You know what I mean? Like a, you know, call this number and donate some money to uh, March of Dimes type of thing where they had, you know, it it was well-produced. It was obviously in front of an empty room. They were performing, but they were performing to the camera. And, like, I'm learning from professional wrestling and stuff like that who's putting on shows now uh, without crowds is that it's it's more a performance now than it ever has been. A lot of this stuff is not not um, organic. A lot of it is calculated, and you see it in the performances where you're waving to the crowd and stuff like that. This is all stuff that they practice. So it's a pretty cool little look at the music industry. And we got to see Yoko Takahashi, who, who if uh, listeners are not familiar, that she did the entire soundtrack of every single Neon Genesis Evangelion thing ever created. And she did all the songs. She did, and that was actually really uh, well done, because in, I guess, like a typical sort of concert fashion you know she slowly leads up to a cruel angel's thesis where like you said with the comments i was reading some of them and people were like she's not gonna do it there was no way oh my i can't believe it and it's like it's gonna happen like come on dude like like you know when like you're at a concert and everybody's like oh encore they didn't play that one song the song that they're most known for there's no way and then they come out to the inevitable encore very much like that i do have a very positive thing to say about her performance on the whole though which is for one there the the sing, the dancers were super into it and they were like really jazzing me up for it they, they were, were awesome. great right and also yeah. i will say that this woman does not age i don't think that she i think she has looked the same i've seen older videos of her performing and stuff like that i think she might be a vampire or something, because she she looks exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, she looks. She, she has not aged at all. She is. I'm gonna be her age in a second. Yeah, I was like shocked. I, I meant the. She's 53 years old. Wow. Yeah. It looks fantastic. She had that fancy, like almost kim- long kimono thing on. It was pretty cool, man. That was good. I'm glad I stayed. Like I was in bed <laughs> watching that. I'm glad I stayed up and watched it. It was good stuff. So does this uh, make you want to watch more of these uh, online expos? That's the question. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think now I'm a little bit more open to the idea because, like I had mentioned earlier, I think my bar was low, and I guess I didn't know what to expect. And for something like this where you know I saw some musical performances that I actually ended up being into – yeah, it does give me a little more hope for stuff in the future. Now, I don't necessarily know how, like, a 
more traditional Comic-Con panel where there's, you know, like a couple people on a stage talking would work out or translate, but I'm, I'm a lot more open to the idea now than I was, say, a week ago. What about you? Uh, yes. Um, you know, sometimes the highlights of cons are the performances. Like, I remember I went to, um, uh, well, what's the one that you, you guys work at? Is it a Philadelphia Comic-Con? Uh, Wizard World, there's Keystone. Wizard World's like, yeah, Keystone. Keystone, Keystone. Yeah, I went to Keystone one time, and a uh, local group that dresses up like uh, Star Wars, uh, Star Trek characters called the Roddenberries, and they do Star Trek-themed songs. They did a performance. And, you know, it's cheesy, and it's campy, and it's fun, and it's, you know, it's entertaining, and I watch really bad pro wrestling, and it was it was fun. I think I've never gone to a single one of these. Every time I've gone to a convention or an expo, I didn't care about signings or, like, rooms where people are talking about things. Uh, kind of speaks poorly to us because we're sitting around talking about things. But, you know, I, I, I remember I went to a, 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 my daughter when she was young. She wanted to go to a convention over New Jersey. And I took her over there and I went in. You know, I bought two tickets, but I wasn't really all that interested. But I just, like, wandered around, realized I was the oldest person in the room, so I stayed away from everybody. And then I went and watched, like, old Ultraman episodes in, like, one of the school classrooms while this guy ate a sandwich really loudly. But, you know, they, uh, the, the, the rooms with the, with the people talking about, like, their experiences and stuff, sometimes it's cool and sometimes it's pretentious, so I tend to stay away from it. But, yeah, I would definitely watch more of this or, like, questions with, like, certain, you know, Japanese artists and stuff like that. I'd, I'd be into that. I think that's cool. Frank. It's going down, Frank. We've got change all around the world. Sex men are getting called out and exposed across the world, brother. Let's start off with this one. I've got a couple of instances. So, Frank, you may be familiar with this. Uh, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund announced on June 22nd, this news came out today, that um, Charles Brownstein has resigned as the CBLDF Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, executive director, following writer and artist Takisoma and editor Chris Simon's allegations that Brownstein sexually assaulted them. Brownstein had served as the executive director in 2000, since 2002. Frank, you know anything about this? Uh, I have not read anything about this, but I will say that for those of you who are not in the know, Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, it's you know it sounds like a superhero type of thing, but what they do is primarily is. They try to, you know, get money for older creators who uh, may have sat, like signed contracts and things for their works when, you know, was not exactly fair for them. And, you know, now that we know with comic books, I don't know if you know this, Jim, or if anyone does, but it's like a multi-billion dollar business now. So if you came up with a cool story or a cool character and you signed like a really shitty contract, well, guess what? Uh, now it doesn't matter and you're you're probably, you know, not well off like some of these people think where they go, oh, wow, you created that character? You must be worth millions of dollars. And they go, actually, no, I, uh, I'm i practically homeless. So they do good work, but this guy, fuck him. <laughs> yeah, for real. Frank Frank Rosetta, you you're familiar with Frank Rosetta? He was the artist that did, uh, like, all the Conan the Barbarian stuff. Oh, yeah, his, his artwork's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. He, um... I know he was he was okay. He was doing okay. 
but uh, when he passed away, his daughter found all this memorabilia that he didn't sell, and she sells it at the com- local Comic Cons, because he's a Pennsylvania guy. He lives somewhere in Lancaster County or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, he wasn't, like, rich. And this guy did, he was the Conan the Barbarian guy. He was the guy that did Vampirella. You know what I mean? He did all these comics for, like, Marvel for years. He should be rich. She sells all his stuff and gives it to, because he has a, a museum out in Pennsylvania. Yeah, these guys. But, you know, that sounds great. That's great and all. And they need representation. <laughs> but not, let's not sexually assault women, please. Okay, thanks. How about this one, Frank? Now, I know you've seen pictures of this guy. And to look, you know, it's always easy. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. But when a man has perfectly constructed front curls like this man does, he's a molester. Dark Horse Comments, Comics has cut ties with writer and editor Scott Ailey from Hellboy and Umbrella Academy uh, after another former Dark Horse employee accused him of sexual harassment and sexual assault across a period lasting more than a decade. Former Dark Horse publicist and editor Shauna Gore shared her experiences in an extensive thread on Twitter on Wednesday. Wednesday, a little while ago. I don't have the exact date. Afternoon. Chronicling what she described as a pattern of chronic, escalating, unchecked abuse that was not related to his alcohol use. Because, of course, he, he said that, you know, that's, that's why. And it happened for four, a 14-year period starting in uh, 1999. Yeah, uh, good old Scott Ailey gave, gave the classic, uh, I'm not really going to apologize for anything. I'm going to blame it on something else. Piece of shit fucking move. But Frank, no, fuck him. This guy, I mean, a lot of it, especially in the comic book industry, there's starting to be a, a trend of people that are getting called out now where they're essentially, you know, as with most of these things, people in power that are taking advantage of people. And we're finding out uh, that there's a couple of them that, you know, they've been going on for 10, 15, 20 years, and it's just one of these things where I guess they're like, oh, well, you know, don't worry about that guy because he's just, like, drunk all the time, so it's it's fine. And it's like, yo, no, it's it's definitely not fine, and uh, you can't blame it on something else. It's a compound effect. Both those things should not be a thing. You shouldn't be drunk all the time, and you shouldn't you shouldn't be treating people the way that these fucking dudes do. So fuck them. Let's go. What's next? We've already heard noise, uh, news and noise about uh, convention organizers just being complete scumbag groomers and, uh, you know, abusing young girls and taking advantage of them, making promises. You know, that's the big thing with this. And also with pro wrestling, this is a big thing in pro wrestling now, especially in British wrestling. Uh, the problem is, of course, the sexual abuse and it's used to coerce people that women can't, in particular women, it happens to men too, but in particular women, uh, you better just like do what he says or you won't have a job type of fucking thing. So it's fucking disgusting, man. And I mean, it's going to take a lot of work for this to change because this is a worldwide thing. Systemic racism is a worldwide thing. We deal with it in particular in the United States, with especially with African-Americans, and it hasn't changed in hundreds of years. And I'm hoping that some of this change happens. What do you think, Frank? Yeah, I'm definitely hoping as well because it's it's quite clear with the protest and people being vocal about it that I think we're at a point where, you know, there's a lot of people that are realizing that this is not okay. And by a lot of people, I mean white people because – 
they are, I guess, waking up to the horrors that, you know, people of color and people that don't share the same skin tone as them are coming to the realization that, you know, they're not treated equally or the same. Mind-blowing, but it is true. It does happen, and, you know, uh, better late than never, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. All right, let's clean the palette. Let's go to some some uh, positive news. Uh, Kyoto Animation announced on Tuesday that it's accepting applications, again, for different positions for both fixed-term and year-round employment periods. Frank, Kyoto Animation is coming back. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that they awesome. are getting back on their feet. Uh, I actually checked to see if they needed two okay-ish podcast hosts, and uh, it turns out they don't. But I want to put that out there. I know, Damn right? It. I want to put that out there and uh, to the universe that, hey, if, if they need somebody to host a podcast, look no further than your boys, Jim and Frank. Uh, also, when I was looking up their job openings, I realized that their website is super cute. So go on Google and check that out if you have two seconds to spare because uh, I'm really digging, digging the way their website looks. Frank, if you get a job at Kyoto Animation, can I come visit once we're allowed to leave the country again and people will accept us for not being diseased scoundrels that we are? Uh, yeah, of course, 100%. Okay, that was, there was a little hesitation. <laughs> I'm going to blame that on the delay. <laughs> All right, next up. So this is surprise news to me. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> uh, Japan Sinks 2020 is going to be available on July 9th. Uh, Netflix has been releasing episodes weekly of other anime in Japan. I wonder, since this is showing up kind of on time, you know, quote-unquote, compared to other Netflix titles that drop later than the Japanese release, if we'll get it beginning weekly episodes, like July 9th, like this is slap-dab in our our, our uh, summer season. I, I think we should do a quick review on this show because I have Misaki Yuasa and it's Science Sorrow, and I am very excited for the show. What do you think, Frank? Yeah, I'm very excited for it as well. Actually, that's one of the things I had written down here is to see whether or not you wanted to do sort of a quick review where we do it um, in the fashion where we just kind of binge it all at once or if we, depending on whether or not they release it all or do it weekly, if we kind of just artificially watch it week to week. I'll leave it up to you. Whatever you want to do, I'm down with. Because either way, I mean, both of us are watching it, so it doesn't. it's kind of a moot point. Yeah, we'll find we'll find out on Thursday when it releases here in the United States. Uh, and what's I mean, I'm assuming it's binge worthy or binging, going to be set up to binge just the way that Netflix does it. But if they do a week to week, which they've been experimenting with, then I mean, it's definitely in there for our spring selection or our summer spring uh, selection show. But um, yeah, I think that this is going to be a show that I'm going to try to watch with my wife because she loves Misaki Yuasa. So um, yeah, this will be a if it doesn't come out weekly, if it comes out weekly, we'll put it in the mix for summer. If not, then we'll just blow through it and just give it a quick review or just dedicate an episode to a review. Sound yeah, good? I'm into that. That sounds good. I mean, we'll know on Thursday, so. Given, you remember Given? I do remember Given. For our listeners, it was... Uh, no, yeah, I was going to say it's that Sweet Sweet Boy Love Band show that we watched two or three seasons ago. Yeah, yeah, I I really liked it. I mean, I, it started out as like a generic music anime, and we're kind of like, you and I were both like, you know, this is kind of boring, and then it got great by the end. The last few episodes were great. 
And I'm excited to watch because the sequel film has been given a release date, August 22nd. It was delayed. It was supposed to already be out. It was delayed due to COVID-19. It will be opening in theaters August 22nd if they let people in theaters. So, exciting times. Hopefully we will uh, get it over here pretty quickly. I think it was on High Dive, so maybe we'll get it here pretty quickly. Yeah, awesome. that's my that's my hope too. Uh, I in general, I hope that we start seeing a lot more movies, films making its way over here because there's so many streaming services now. And for this show in particular, like you had said, the uh, the build up kind of the it built up steam, and then it really got great over the last couple episodes. And I'm hoping that the film just kind of picks off with that steam and, and continues forward because I, I would uh, I would genuinely like to like to see this movie as you know the sequel. So hopefully we do get it. Yeah, that show made me cry. Should have mentioned this earlier, but uh, during its industry panel at Anime Expo, Production IG announced that they are doing a yet to be detailed collaboration with Adult Swim. The collaboration will be an anime project, and that more details will be revealed about it at Virtual Comic Con. So, there we go. This is not the first time that Production IG and Adult Swim have collaborated. In the past, they've worked on many shorts for Rick and Morty. Frank, thoughts? Oh, that's interesting. See, yeah, they definitely, uh, I do know, have like a pretty good relationship, seem to be very buddy-buddy. And it makes sense. I mean, especially with Adult Swim, they if you've seen any of their programming, they're very, I feel like, open-minded to a lot of different kind of creative endeavors. Um, I was originally, like, when I had looked into this, I was like, oh, hey, maybe they'll do a live-action series, because I was actually kind of shocked to find out that apparently they had already done one last year, and it was the only live-action thing they've ever done. It was something called Stay Tuned in 2019. But, you know, they're sticking to what they know, and it's probably for the best. Not to say that their live-action thing wasn't good, because I haven't seen it. But, you know, I'm interested to see what they do. I like I like both of them. I like Adult Swim and Pro- uh, Production IG, so I'm excited. The show they did together was both Production IG and Adult Swim? That was the live-action one? No, the live-action was, was uh, just Production IG. I had thought that okay. maybe they were doing it, because, you know, Adult Swim is like 50-50 on live action and you know mostly i guess nowadays like family guy reruns i don't <laughs> right i don't know <laughs> uh yeah they've done other stuff uh, i know they're working on the um uzumaki anime too so i hope that's not the reveal oh by the way this <laughs> this is a new show we've told you about already yeah. that we're going to cover but it's exciting because i like anime and obviously i want more people to have access to it and as we've learned, and we learned at Comic-Cons and, com- and conventions and stuff like that, news is that a lot of people, it's still their first exposure to Japanese animation is still through cable networks, which I find shocking. But, you know, if, your parent, if you're young and your parents aren't willing to put out money for, like, you know, uh, Crunchyroll or stuff like that, then you're just going to have to stay up late and watch it on Adult Swim, right? Yeah, I have to. I have to figure there's still the the gateway for a lot of people to the points that you had just made, and you know maybe it won't be like that for much longer. But good on them for at least kind of bridging that gap for some people. And hopefully someday they'll be able to watch um, Food Wars unedited, because <laughs> it's pretty. That first two seasons are pretty amazing unedited. 
All right, Frank, let's get to our juicy points. Besides Bucket of Vampire Slayers, stinking. We watched a movie, Frank, and both of us were going to watch this by ourselves. And I was actually going to watch it with my, Anna, my wife, but I watched it without her because I didn't feel like waiting. We watched A Whisker Away, or Nakitai Watashi wa Neko wo Kaburi. Kaburu. Or literally, it means wanting to cry. I pretended to be a cat. I think Kaburu is a mask. Anyway. Streaming on Netflix. Runtime is an hour and 44 minutes. Uh, the studio, it's Studio Colorido. They're doing the upcoming Burn the Witch movie and Penguin Highway. Toho Animation. They're doing Jujutsu Kaisen and Dr. Stone. And Twin Engine, who did Dororo. We love that. Mm. Vinland Saga. We love that. Babylon. We didn't like the end of that. And Pet, which Frank didn't like, and I did like. Uh, it's directed by Junichi Sato, who is best known for, he does a lot of shoujo, and shoujo, Frank, for our listeners. Uh, it's primarily geared towards young women, oftentimes dealing with romance. Yes, he's best known for season one and two of Sailor Moon. The source is original and written by one of my favorites, so of course I'm going to be skewed, Mario Kata. She did a Maiden's Year Savage Season, Mobile Suit Gundam, Iron Blood Orphans. I still haven't read her, her biography. I've talked about it, but I've got a stack of Stephen King to read, so uh, she's going to have to take it back. Maybe I'll read it down the short. Jones. Drama, magic, and romance. Quick background. The film was originally scheduled for release in Japanese theaters on June 5th of 2020. But, as we all know, COVID-19 happened and it was pulled from the schedule. This film was then sold to Netflix and released it digitally in Japan on June 18th of 2020. It showed up here on the 28th of June, I believe. Uh, here's your synopsis. The original story about finding one's true self is set in Tokoname Aichi and centers on Mio Muge Sasaki. She is particularly... <laughs> she is a peculiar second-year junior high school student who has fallen in love with her classmate Kento Hinode. Muge... Uh, resolutely pursues Kento every day, but she takes, but he takes no notice of her. Nevertheless, while carrying a secret she can tell no one, Muge continues to pursue Kento. Muge discovers a magic mask that allows her to transform into a cat named Taro. The magic lets Muge get close to Kento, but eventually, it may also make her unable to transform back to a human. Frank! What do you think about the movie? Alright, so... A Whisker Away almost immediately reminded me of uh, Spirited Away in its whimsical tone. So, which is not to say anything about this movie. It's more just my own observation. I had a hard time thinking of its own merits as I was kind of comparing the two for no other reason besides the fact that they seem to share a very kind of atmospheric vibe. Um, it just seemed very similar. That's just like a quick note I wanted to make. Um, there are two things I took away from this movie while I was watching it. Uh, let's see if I can not botch their names. Muge's relationship to herself and others, specifically um, Hin Hinode, which is an obvious one, and o oddly enough, the architecture of the buildings in the movie. So this is, these are like the two points I came away with when I was watching it. It's pretty clear from the movie that uh, Muge's crush on Hinode is overly obsessive 
and sometimes a bit much to the degree that I would say if you were a older person, somebody like you and I, Jim, our age, uh, that it would be damaging. But it's a good reminder to yourself, the viewer, that this is a story based around young love and all its faults. I would make the argument that almost everyone at one time had a crush they were obsessed over and they were young and that made you feel as if everyone around you wasn't worth your time. You know, we see this in ways with uh, Muge's only really thinks about Hinade throughout most of the film and views everyone else as kind of these straw men or these scarecrows who are not worth reacting to. Uh, I actually really enjoyed those brief glimpses we kind of get into a frame of mind where there there's like this ethereal sort of thing where we see how she views other people and it's kind of like this very dream weavy sort of thing. I thought it was pretty pretty neat the way that they had handled that. Which is uh which brings up a good point. You know, the story I think does a really good job of showing young love in a very realistic way. Uh, makes sense that this is coming from the same person who uh, did, um, I'm blanking, uh, what's her face? Oh, Matt, uh, oh, say, ah. Oh, Maiden's in your savage <laughs> yeah, season. There you go. So it makes a lot more Oh, Maiden's in your savage season. Oh, Maiden's in your savage season. So it makes sense that, you know, um, that it seems very realistic. Uh, my other point is the attention to detail that are given to the buildings in this movie, and specifically the layout. I don't know really why I was drawn to this aspect of the movie, but, uh, you know, when I watched this movie the other day, I think I watched it Friday or Saturday, about two days ago, I can still visualize in my mind the layout of uh, Muge and Hinade's homes, as well as a decent part of their school. Um, You know, these locations make up a good portion of the movie, and... um, the movie does a good job of taking us through these locations when they're focusing on each character. And it kind of uh, allows for this more enriching feeling to the environment and the narrative on the whole. Uh, as an example, you know, there's a scene where Yuge comes home from school. She's like very static and happy, delighted. The camera kind of follows her. She goes from the entryway to her room. Um, and takes us through kind of the route that she she goes to. You know, it's it's very common. You just follow the same route that you normally would when you go to your room, as as anybody would. But it's done in such a way that it it I don't know what it was about it. It allowed me to kind of map out sort of the building, her home, and uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. It, like when you think about it as a young person those locations so school and your home are pretty much your world right like you usually go from point a to point b occasionally you go to a friend's house maybe you go to a shop or hang out outside which they do do in the movie but um those are kind of the two main locations and the job does a good job of i think like fleshing that out so we're almost kind of seeing it in the view of you know, these, these young people, these essentially children, these kids, uh, that's their world. And, you know, as they expand and you kind of see more of the mystical aspects of it with the cat village and, and things towards the end of the movie, um, I thought it was, it was interesting that that stuck with me. Uh, I was kind of blown away by those sort of attentions to detail. Um, outside of those two, you know, very hit points on the movie, 
in more broad stroke terms, I actually really enjoyed it. It's one of those movies that, you know, uh, feels bigger than the streaming service itself, which makes sense that they had, you know, acquired this and it was supposed to have a theatrical release originally. And now I think I'm not too sure. I'm a, I think it's, you know, a Netflix original. They also do that with things that they acquire from other countries and it's, you know, originally aired somewhere else, but it's a Netflix original because they have the streaming rights. But I thought that that was kind of cool, you know, that um, Netflix on the whole kind of speaks to their aggressive nature and acquiring animation in all forms and the way we've talked about this a number of times, them going out of their way to, you know, get something like this. I mean, I think it earns all uh, 104 minutes and it's an enjoyable ride. Uh, I also like cats, and this movie has a lot of cats in it, and <laughs> so that that didn't hurt. Uh, you know, I didn't touch too much on kind of the mystical aspect of of the movie, and you know, her putting on the um, kind of the mask and transforming herself and things like that. But those are the two points that really kind of uh, stuck with me. It was kind of funny that the the more human aspects of this movie sort of overshadowed the kind of tail end of the movie when they're running about in this kind of sort of cat haven. But uh, I think it kind of speaks to the human points, I think more so than than anything else. Um, I really enjoyed it. Jim, what'd you think? You spoke in depth about the animation and it was spectacular. It's definitely movie quality, obviously. Uh, It gets that credit. And it was supposed to be in theaters, and it was released uh, through Netflix. You touched on all that. The realistic environments. If you have the time or if you can understand my the way I speak, Frank, go Google Tokoname Aichi, the town that they're talking about. It's a town that was based, its its um, economy is based on pottery and classic pottery. And it is so cool. The world that they, their, their life they live in, the track that they take every day. Yeah, and the, as you said, like things that would become mundane to people, like walking through their house, you know, that spe- specific spot where they, where uh, Mugay and her friends split every day at that small little temple at the top of the hill. It's just like everything was so cool. Uh, to the cat people wearing uh, uh, Utakas, and, and, you know, it was cool and creepy. They were creepy little cat people. There was that one effect where they just show a cloud rising in fast motion. It was gorgeous. But, you know, what really was stands out about this, and it was like a fantasy story, and the environment was great, but Mario Kata, and she did this in, and, you know, I'm a fanboy of hers, but she did this in uh, Omains in Your Savage Season. She has spectacular realism in her stories, and her writing really hits home. Um, you know, some things that are that are glossed over but are major points in this, in this story. Divorce. Uh, death of a loved family member or a pet. Um, uh, you know, they're middle school kids and, you know, it hits home for me, you know, and I, I know no one has an easy time with this, but in particular it hit home for me, like the dealing with puberty and attraction, the early days of it. Um, there's the scene where uh, Hinoti shares a meal with Muge and then she goes home and she does that trek through her whole house. And, you know, it's not a big deal. She's, she's, uh, you know, uh, a stepmom that really cares about her and wants, you know, or wants uh, Muge to love her, 
but um, she also, you know, the stepmom also understands that, like, you know, she's kind of an invader in the family, and but then, but then Hinode, like, she just like kind of like plays it down low key. She goes into her bedroom, and then as soon as she closes the door, she starts kicking and freaking out because she shared the meal, and she's kicking her feet, and then, you know. Uh, stepmom realizes, like, she hears noise, she goes in, she comes into the room, when she comes into the room, Mugay's sitting there pretending to do crunch, uh, crunches to get into shape. Like, uh, the, the, you know, the mom and the stepmom, you finally see the two of them get together and they get in a physical fist fight, which is, like, so friggin' real! Like, that shit happens! We don't see that! Like, as someone that grew up in a house that was, like, split through divorce, like, divorce is a fucking real deal and it sucks what happens to the kids. And watching the stepmom and mom get in a fistfight was just like, holy shit, like, people don't realize this type of stuff happens. <laughs> and you're a kid watching, like, what the fuck, oh my god, I have to grow up in this house, this is the worst. And, you know, her st- it's just the little things like that. And, you know, the fantasy aspect was cool and all, but that stuff. And, you know, Hinode and uh, his mom wants to sell off, you know, she basically wants to sell off. She wants the best for him. And her father wants the best, you know, and, and Muge's fa- father wants the best for her, but he doesn't know how to, it's so difficult with divorce, and, you know, you have the mom who wants a certain way, and all this other stuff, and I, it's, I, I fucking loved the story to this. I loved this movie. I thought it was fantastic. And I also, uh, I text my, my brother-in-law, and I told him, and I was just like, yo, this is a very good film to check out with your daughter, and, you know, even the littlest one will like it because it has cats in it. You know what I mean? Like, this is a very cool-looking film. And, of course, since I, you know, he's an excellent father, and I am a uh, an uncle that wants to uh, poison the children <laughs> with anime and nerd them, you know? I want to get in there. She'd already watched this. My niece had already watched this. So I was like, fuck yeah, we did a good job. But, yeah, Frank, what's your new Taku ranking on this? Because I could just, gl- just friggin' ooze all over this film and how much i love it. yeah uh definitely i'm gonna go with must watch uh to a couple of your points like you had said it does like a very good job of feeling very realistic you know when you're talking about divorce there's all these little things where you know there's uh they're walking down uh muge is walking down the street and her like neighbor kind of confronts her about how you know uh the the girlfriend is treating her and like all these like little things that I feel like you wouldn't normally get in in a movie about this just these little tensions to details and like we you had kind of we've glossed over the fact that there, there is this fantasy element to it but it almost speaks to the rest of it right so it's like the fantasy element is there and that I feel like is the selling point for the way that you get people into this movie and the vehicle that they're they're you know buckling themselves into but it, it, it it's not really about that sure it's there and it, it it's it's good I, I enjoyed that part but it it's there's a lot more there's a lot more there than just you know you transform into a cat you go to this cat paradise thing uh but for me yeah definitely everybody should should be tech checking this out it's on netflix you don't have to pay any money Everybody's got Netflix. You're either paying for it, or you're, or you're on your, you know, ex's Netflix, and they haven't realized in over three years, and you haven't said anything, and you know, <laughs> you might as well keep that gravy train rolling. So there you go, must watch. <laughs> That's funny. Did that happen to you, Frank? Ah, <laughs> uh, no comment. 
<laughs> it happened to a friend of mine, and she actually got a text from her ex-boyfriend, like, what's the password for the, your Netflix? She hadn't heard from him in years. And he, she's just like, go fuck yourself, get lost. <laughs> All right, so, <laughs> yeah, I, this is definitely a must-watch. It's a great love story, but more importantly, it's, you know, we get this classic trope that happens in anime of people unable to express their feelings. You know what I mean? It's two characters that won't express their feelings. And, uh, but this is projected across the main character's entire lives. She comes back, um, she being uh, Muge, she talks about how she wants to go back to that time when she and Hinode were in these pillars and, you know, they were together because she just had a fight with her mother about divorce and going to live with mom. And she says, in a, their entire relationship interaction, Muge and Hinode is, to go back to that time. She wants to, Muge wants to go back to that time. And it, she wants to go back to when her parents were still kind of together and everything was simpler. And it's just not the way work, life works. Uh, Muge's stepmother making uh, stir fry for her and it was too, it was too light on the spice. And then her stepmom, I loved her stepmom in this. I thought she was great. Her stepmom adjusting the spice to try to, uh, make it, you know, appease Muge, and then Muge just doesn't really accept it because she's trying to be mom now, and it's just like, it's so real. The story's so fucking real. Divorce and death are hard on everyone, but as I learned from Karamo of Queer Eye, sometimes a simple 20-minute conversation can eliminate years of misunderstandings and regret. And Frank, they have the conversation. And Frank... Did you watch the credits? Because I know you love to not watch credits. Uh, it's funny that you said that because I almost tuned off, tuned it out, but then your voice was in my head and I said, you know what? I have to watch the credits. Plus, it didn't hurt that when I went to go check how much time was left, I knew that there there was something like seven minutes worth of credits. So I was like, oh, there's got to be something something here. Yeah, there was, they pretty much wrap up a bunch of storylines and it was very cute. You know, all the the love interests and what these people are doing and how, how they ended up at the end. It was very cute, very short, simplified with subtitles in Japanese of like their conversations. And it was very good. That was very cute. It was a very good movie. I definitely recommend this film. All right, Frank. So next week, I believe we'll have enough juice, enough shows under our belt, enough, shall I say, Milky anime boobies. <laughs> to uh, if you'll find out next week when you listen. To um, to do our selection show next week, I think so. We've got a couple of shows that will have had two episodes, and a couple that have had one. And I may I don't know what you've watched, but there may be some surprises in what I liked. Yeah. And no surprise, one of these shows is going to have some boobies in it. Yes, uh, Frank. Uh, It'll be an interesting season for sure, and I think you're right. We should have at least one episode of everything, and in typical fashion, there, there's going to be at least a couple that have two, so it'll be good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing I did do, and I will uh, talk about it more next week, is that I take a look ahead to fall to see what kind of um, shit show, so to say, we're ready for, and fall is loaded man we're gonna have a whole plate i don't know how many shows we're gonna have to watch because some of them look friggin awesome and some of them are new properties that have been waiting to come out that are dropping uh take a look uh frank you go take a look at our list 
and you'll see uh, what our chart looks like. Hey, it's pretty stacked up, man. There's a lot of shows that we might have to pick from. But right. on this note, it looks like it's going to storm. Is it storming where you are now? Frank's a little bit north north of me in Philadelphia. I am a little bit north of you, but I uh, am still recording in my closet, so I, I can't oh, say for so you sure. Oh, have no idea. So if it is raining, it'll just come pouring down through the ceiling. Gotcha. All right, so let's wrap this up, and uh, thanks for joining us this week. And once again, please share us with your friends and follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at MutakuCast. I am still doing my Macho Man Randy Savage Finger. Send us questions at show requests. Our email is mutaku2019 at gmail.com, and we will talk about all of them on the air. No questions this week. Listen to us on Podbean, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and share. And until next time, I am Jim. And I am Frank. And Gunbate. Gunbate. Ooh, yeah!